couple of weeks ago, we memorized a scripture passage in church together. Do you remember that or not? And the apostle said to the Lord, forgotten it already. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. There it is. Increase our faith. You remember that now? And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. We Remember we talked about faith is as having to do with the content of our faith. So we need to, we need to know what, what do we believe as Christians about God and the world and ourselves. So there's content which we need to begin to get into our minds. But, but if we stop there, that's problematic. That, that faith, the content of our faith needs to work its way into our hearts and into our lives, into our living, into the way that we, that we interact with others. And so sort of a second stage of, of increase, of increase our faith. If we try that earnestly we'll find that there are plenty of opportunities that we have to live out our faith where we just don't. We fall short, um, sort of like the anthem was pointing to. Uh, we, we need to cry out for mercy. And there's this final stage of increasing our faith where we cast ourselves wholly upon Jesus, who has been faithful in our stead and has lived faithfully for us and invites us to share and participate in what he's done not in a way that's striving continuously on our own, but in a way that it is, is a life which is formed by gratitude and thanksgiving and praise. Uh, so we've asked for God to increase our faith, but then last week we saw Jesus healing ten lepers, one of which came back and did what? Gave, gave thanks. There's that life of thanksgiving that begins to emerge. And so he gives thanks and Jesus says, Go away, your faith has made you well. Increase our faith. Your faith has made you well. Jesus heals the man as he goes in faith. Remember, he told him to go show yourself to the priest, but he didn't see himself healed yet. But as he went, he was healed. So he had to live in faith, and as he lived in faith and obedience to Christ, he began to discover God's healing in his life. So Jesus heals. Jesus gives faith. Jesus increases our faith. It might be a little strange then to come to our passage this morning and recognize that as we see someone's faith increasing, God is also wounding them. As we approach that story this morning, let us pray. The Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you. O Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. So our scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 32, and it picks up in verse 22. This is the story of Jacob going out, or returning home rather, to meet Esau. And he's frightened. So I invite you to listen carefully and listen well. Genesis 32, beginning with verse 22. The same night he he being Jacob, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. 
When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. It's not hard to see Jacob this morning in today's passage. Jacob stands by the water's edge of the river Jabbok, and he stands alone. It's not hard to see Jacob in our passage this morning because Jacob, standing by the water's edge, the river Jabbok, and he's standing alone. He's standing alone because he sent everything that he has and even his own family to the other side of the river. In fact, he sent them in two groups. He's divided his family into two groups and sent them to the other side of the river, hoping that maybe one of the groups will survive tomorrow. Jacob stands by the water's edge of the river Jabbok. He stands alone, so alone because everything has gone on ahead of him. His family's in two groups because he's afraid. He's afraid because his brother Esau is approaching. His brother Esau, the one who said at their last encounter, if I see you again, I'll kill you. That Esau. Jacob stands By the water's edge, the river Jabbok, he stands alone. His family's gone to the other side. He's afraid. He's afraid because his brother comes and he's afraid. His brother will kill him, kill his family, kill everything he has. Jacob stands alone. You know, Jacob is actually on his way back home. Uh, He lived his early years there with Esau in the land of his father. But then when he'd worn out his welcome, when Esau said he would kill him, If he stayed, he ran. He ran to Laban. Laban, a family member, up into the north. And there he married and he had children. And he lived his life and he began to accumulate things and wealth and prosperity. And so eventually Jacob, who tends to do this most places he goes, wore out his welcome there as well. And so he has nowhere to be. And so he's going back home. Where else can he go? He goes goes back home. As he goes... He realizes Esau's coming to meet him. He sends a messenger ahead. The messenger goes and sees Esau, and he comes back, and he tells Jacob, 
Esau comes with 400 men. That was not a welcome party, was it? (laughs) That was an army. Jacob stands by the water's edge of the river Jabbok. He stands alone as night falls. He sent his family ahead. He's divided them into two camps. He's sent all of his possessions forward. He's afraid. He's afraid of everything. He's afraid of his brothers. He's afraid of death. He's afraid of all of it. But Jacob's long been known as sort of a sly character, a trickster, you might say. And so little by little, he hopes to play upon the mercy of Esau. And so he's strategic. He says, I'm going to send gifts to Esau in droves so that he receives one and says, wow, and waits a few minutes and another shows up and another and another and another. And so Jacob, on the way, this is the day before, on the, on the day before he sends 200 goats, female goats, that arrive as a drove right there to Esau as a gift. And, and directly behind them, there are 20 male goats and then tw- 200 ewes and then 20 rams and then 30 milking camels and those that they were nursing. And then he sends 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys, drove after drove after drove until all of it has gone ahead to Esau as a gift. And Jacob divides his family and sends them over as night falls and he stands at the water's edge by the river Jabbok. Absolutely and completely alone. You see what's happened here, I think, is that everything that has made Jacob who he is has been stripped away. Drove after drove after drove. First he lost a place he called home with Laban, and he lost his, his work, his job. And then he's coming, he's coming, he thinks back home to, to a place maybe, but then that place is being taken from him too. He's being met by an army. He sends everything that he has ahead, ahead, ahead. He divides everything up little by little until all he has is himself. He stands by the water's edge as night falls alone at the river Jabbok. I'm going to ask you to do something hard, hard this morning. You'll, like you'll have to actually participate in that. <laughs> I want you for just a moment Stand with Jacob. No, you don't have to actually stand. Thank you, Edwin. You don't have to actually stand. But in your mind, in your heart, I want you to imagine, for a moment, difficult though it may be, that you've had everything stripped away. The place you called home, your, just your house, wherever you live, you can't go back to it right now. It's not yours. So you wonder. You, whatever job you have or have had is gone. You, you can't go to it. And then little by little, all of your possessions, all the things that you've accumulated, all the things that are yours that make you feel safe and comfortable and like you have an ability to act in the world and to make your way in it, all of that little by little, drove after drove after drove, taken from you until eventually even your friends and your relationships can't turn to them. They're on the other side. They're far from you. 
even your family, taken. It is only you, all alone at the edge of the water, at the river Jabbok. It's just you. It's not hard to see Jacob at the water's edge. It's hard to see ourselves sometimes. But guess what? Jacob's not alone. The passage says, Jacob was alone. And the very next sentence is, and a man wrestled him the entire night. Now, you might say, well, who is this man? We know the rest of the story. This man is also God. It's God and man together. You might wonder who this is. And some say an angel and some say this and that. The early church pretty much said this is Jesus, who is God and man together, right? This is the Old Testament, though. We think in linear time. We think in sequential time. But Christ, who entered time and lived within it, is now ascended to the right hand of the Father and is over time, sovereign over all of it, past, present, and future. So the early church saw Jesus in the Old Testament everywhere, and it didn't bother them at all. Sometimes his real identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God, was maybe hidden or, or not completely clear. But they look at this passage and say, who did, who did Jacob encounter? Who was with him when he stood alone? Jesus. And that's what I want you to hear this morning is that even in that place, standing by the water's edge of the river Jabbok, everything taken from you, everything stripped from you, you alone, you're not alone. But God is also there with you in that place, in that moment, in that space. Jesus comes to you and engages you and takes you by the shoulders and wrestles you and clings to you and will not let you go. Jacob stood at the water's edge, the river Jabbok, alone, but he wasn't alone. God was with him. God met him in that place, and he finally began to wrestle. I wonder, you know, he wrestled all night. That was a long match. I wonder as he wrestled, if some of his life in the same way didn't get wrestled out of him the same way that he'd had to relinquish it drove after drove after drove. I wonder, I wonder if, if perhaps Jacob was engaged in those moments with those stories that his parents ta- told him when he got old enough to understand of how when he and his twin brother Esau were born, Esau first, and then Jacob emerged together with Jacob's hand clutching the heel of his brother. You know, Jacob just, I mean, that name just means heel grabber. Wouldn't you love that moniker? You know, his whole life. He's the heel grabber. He was born clutching, grabbing, striving, wrestling, even from the womb, trying to get something, trying to find something, trying to make his way in the world, trying to identify his spot in it and not letting anyone else have it. I wonder if he's wrestled all night with the God-man by the river Jabbok if he didn't think about the ways he'd been wrestling over and over and, and how sly he'd been in those actions. You know the story as well probably of how 
As they got older, Esau was this great hunter. He was a strong man and capable in the world. He was rough. He goes out to hunt one day, while Jacob, who tended to stick closer to home, perhaps was more comfortable in those environs, watched him go. Jacob, or Esau is gone for days, perhaps weeks on end. He comes back. He has had no success. In fact, he hasn't found anything to eat this entire time. He's almost to the point of death. He's starving. Jacob's stirring a bowl of stew. Esau says, give me some of that food. Jacob, clutching the bowl, says, I'll trade it to you for your birthright. (laughs) Esau says, give me something to eat. And squanders his entire inheritance. Jacob, grabbing after Esau, climbing for first place, trying to get and acquire, did the same when Isaac, his father, was on his deathbed and had gone blind and couldn't see. Jacob, knowing that he was to the point of death, knowing that it was time for the father to bless the son and pass on God's blessing to the next in line, knowing this, came to him in place of Esau and covered his arms with sheep garments said yes it's me father and Isaac reaches out and touches him and gives the blessing to Jacob there's a reason we say the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and not the God of Abraham Isaac and Esau it's because Isaac passed the blessing on to him grabbing clutching scrambling wrestling Esau said you you better leave or I'm going to kill you he flees he runs to Laban Finds work, this one who's received the blessing and the birthright. He finds work. He sees Rachel, wants to marry her. Says, I'll work for you seven years. He does. Works for Laban for seven years. But then Laban tricks him, turns the tables a little bit, marries Leah, marries him to Leah. You've got to work seven more years. He does. Marries Rachel. Children, family. Things begin to accumulate. 200 ewes, 20 rams. 30 camels nursing. Sounds like 12 days of Christmas, doesn't it? (laughs) Sort of. Here he goes. He's got all this stuff, but then he's got to flee yet again with everything he owns. And now it's on the other side of the river. None of it marks me. Everything he's worked, everything he's wrestled, everything he's strived for his whole life long is gone. It's across the water. And it's him alone. And now... He's not alone, but now he's able to be with God and God takes hold of him and will not let him go. Finally, finally, Jacob is wrestling the right one. He's striving with the right person for the right thing. It's all been stripped down, taken away. Can you stand with Jacob by the water's edge alone, but not alone and with God? Have you actually done that in your life is my question to you this morning. Have you actually wrestled with God not the other things not the work not the spouse not the children not the acquisition of stuff not trying to make your mark not trying to get the birthright not all the other stuff but have you stood with God and wrestled with Jesus 
Jacob did, finally. And as he did, the sun began to rise. And the man, the God-man, reached out and said, this is about enough, and touched his hip. Just touched it. Threw it out of socket. It's over, effectively, right? The, ma- the match is over. And yet, guess who wouldn't let go? The heel grabber. He would not let go. He would not. He clutched. He clung to this wrestler and says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Finally, he was searching for blessing in the right place. Blessing from God. And this pleased God. It pleased God that he clung to him and asked his blessing. And so he gives it. He says, your name is no longer Jacob. No longer the heel grabber. But now your name is Israel. Does that name sound familiar? Jacob becomes the eponymous ancestor of a nation, of God's people. His name is the name they carry. One who wrestles with God. And then the wrestler apparently departs. Jacob stands. One who stood by the water's edge of the river Jabbok while night fell, discovered in the midst of that dark night that he was not alone but that God was with him and God engaged him and he clung to him and he asked his blessing and he gave his blessing and the sun rises and a new day dawns and he crosses the water and he enters into a new land, something like home. And his brother Esau met him on the road and you know what he did? He embraced him. This new land, this new place like home is like heaven. It's where brothers are reconciled and his family that was split in two is restored and brought together as one, and all the abundance of this place, all of these things and acquisitions that he'd striven for are now his again, but in a different way. The blessing comes from God and not his own. But you know what happened as he crossed that water that looked like baptism into that new land that looked like heaven? Jacob walked with a limp. Jacob walked with a limp. You know, it's good for us to look at Jacob and to stand with him by the water's edge of the river Jabbok when night falls to imagine everything stripped away so that we can actually strive with God and cling and ask God's blessing. That's good. It's good for us to see the man who still walks with a limp It's even better for us to see the one with whom Jacob wrestled who also carries wounds. Not in his hip, but in his hands, in his feet, in his side. The one who clings to you and engages you desires for you to ask his blessing. The one, Jesus, who leads us to the water's edge of baptism so that we might cross into a new land, a new kingdom like home where people are reconciled and peace is known and love is experienced and all is set right and people are brought together from all different places and made God's family. 
Have you wrestled with him? Have you seen his wounds? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.